0: In the last 50 years especially, people have kind of supposed that there's a distinction between the church and the institutional church. Mm. One of the most basic things that I do with students is say, erase that distinction. Mm -hmm. The institutional church is the only church there is. It's the only church that's founded by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
1: Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphine. And today we're joined by Benedictine Priest and Professor of Theology, Max Seckler, Professor of Theology at Ave Maria University, uh, Father Guy Mancini. Welcome to the show. Thanks.
0: Happy to be here.
1: Good. We're so glad to have you here. Now uh, today we wanted to talk especially about uh, your new book, or that came out a couple of years ago, on ecclesiology, mm-hmm. a kind of a, maybe a, a textbook, a theological introduction. And for those who don't know, right, ecclesiology is the study of the church, right, the ecclesia. Uh, so. Just, we wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about the church today and get a sense for okay. why the church is important, uh, what were some okay. of the goals that you were trying to address in the book, Okay, maybe even some of the things you learned while writing it. Okay, uh, But Good. to just start, maybe just begin with kind of the, uh, I don't know, the most obvious almost objection, which is, right, why do we need a church at all, and why should we study the church? Shouldn't we just study right uh, God and Jesus Christ?
0: Okay. Um, well, um, let me begin in left field, as it were. I, I, yeah. I was thinking about the church, especially during the pandemic, during the, during the years especially when everybody was supposed to be at home and uh, everybody's kind of natural uh, patterns of uh, sociability were, were kind of interrupted and mm-hmm. cut off. And uh, one of the terrible things about the pandemic— more to me, even than the than the kind of physical toll that it took mm-hmm. on people, was the mental toll that it mm-hmm. took on people. People had a terrible time being at at home alone mm-hmm. with with themselves. And uh, the rates of uh, mental disturbance got you mm-hmm. know uh, rose during the yes. pandemic. Yeah. yeah, and for young people, which I thought was so incredibly sad, there were so mm-hmm. many young people that had no idea of how to handle this new situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was an elevated suicide rate, for instance, yeah. for uh, young mm-hmm. people. And I, it made me think, it made me think not of the church so much, but of the absence of the church. Because mm-hmm. I, I like the, the, what, what the pandemic revealed uh, about American society was that so many contemporary Americans, they don't have any interior life to fall back on Mm -hmm. Uh, and i would say that's because they don't have an exterior life that is they're not really connected to the to the things that make sense of our lives the truth about god the truth about ourselves the kind of summation of those truths in jesus christ Mm -hmm. both god and man yeah and well what does this have to do with the church or the absence of the church it's the church that makes those truths present to us. We, they're, they're not kind of like in the in the virtual world or something like that. Mm-hmm. they have a They have a concrete existence in the church, in the institution of the church. And where the institution of the church is absent, those truths are absent also. Mm-hmm. and and the pandemic, it seemed to me re- realized that so many of so many American people are just absolutely unconnected to what a Christian would call, Ultimate reality, and and therefore did not really did not really have any kind of resources with which to make sense of what was happening to their lives, mm-hmm. or any any sort of way of integrating this this experience of trial into a kind of an overall narrative mm-hmm. of uh, redemption and and uh, helping one another, and even virtually, and being uh, unto God. So. Yeah. I don't know. That's maybe that's you no. Know, that's really
1: a fascinating idea. So, what what I hear you kind of suggesting is this idea that the it's not so much right that we study the church um, as its own end, but that when we study the church, what we discover is the church is the place where certain truths about God, truths about man, truths about God's plan for us, yes. and His salvation in Jesus Christ are remembered and made known and when we're in the church we see kind of we see something more than merely our everyday lives yes Yes. it reminds me in a way that you know even if you step outside of say theological discourse but even just in terms of say scientific discourse um, you know I have a family member who's a physicist and Mm. physics is a Great, right, and something everyone would agree, most everyone is, you know, a, a body of knowledge about truth. But apart from physicists actually studying it, remembering it, passing it on, right, it wouldn't exist. We would no longer be able to see the world through the lens of physics were it not actually practiced. Yes, yes. And so this, I think, is even true, right, on a natural level. Yes, that there are certain truths that we can only see because people are dedicated to learning them and remembering them, and if that's true, right on a natural level, then on a supernatural level, well,
0: I think that's very, I think that's so true. The in the in the last fifty years, especially, people have uh, kind of supposed that there's a distinction between the church and the institutional church. Mm. One, One of the most basic things that I do with students uh you know maybe just sometimes the first day is to say i say, erase that distinction mm-hmm. there is no distinction between the church and the institutional church the institutional church is the only church there is wow. it's the only church that's founded by our lord and savior jesus christ and so if you want to get in on it then you You have to make friends, as it were, with the institutional church and see why Mm. without an institutionalization of the message of the gospel Mm -hmm. and of the grace that the gospel offers us, then it just disappears in in human life. Mm. We're far more... We're far more dependent on institutions than we sometimes realize, as you say, with, with regard to physics. Mm-hmm. Without the institutions of the academy, without the institution of the journals, without the institutions that you know fund laboratories and things mm-hmm. like that, that all ceases to exist. And at, at another level, I, I think the, the very same thing is true with regard to the message of the gospel and are and are being connected uh, to the true God mm-hmm. in uh, through His true.
1: Uh, yeah. Wow, that's such a powerful church, yeah. um way of beginning, all right, which is that there's no there's no other church than the institutional church. No, I don't um, think so. now, given how I mean how hard that is, can you or how that I think so many people just assume that there's a distinction and and get frustrated with the institutional church they do. Um, or what would you say to people who you know find the the blemishes, the mistakes, the annoyances, the sins, trials of the institutional church, as you know, kind of an obstacle to their encounter with uh, God's love and grace. Well, I—that's a hard question. I, I think if
0: I, I think of a person tries to answer that simply out of our out of his his or her own resources, mm-hmm. the way we might criticize uh, this or that uh, institution of government or this or that bureaucratic mm-hmm. organization, then I, I, I think in the end, that's not very helpful. I, I think what we have to do is we have to go back to the sources that tell us mm-hmm. what the church is and why we should trust the church in the first place. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I I think most criticisms of the church are are not very satisfactory. They they don't really cut to the core unless they, unless they unless they come from a, a, a kind of a broad and deep scriptural awareness because that's where we learn what the church is supposed to be and how it's yeah. supposed to. Act.
1: One of the things that really struck me with your book was your attempt to try to deal with that question of what is the church and even the question of. Who is the church? Yes. So, but I think maybe a way of starting into that question is, right, this idea of what do we see when we see the church? Because I think in a way, it's like when we see a human being, we're used to seeing the external, right? We see the body, we see the hair, we see the clothes, we see the wrinkles, we see the lack of wrinkles or whatever it is we have, right? We see all these things but we kind of intuit there's a person underneath all that body, right? Now, obviously, sometimes people don't recognize that, and that's, of course, a, a, a defect. That's a limitation. But I think most of us, at least with friends or certain loved ones, we kind of have this intuitive connection that through the external, uh, there's a person there that is worthy of love and capable of giving love, right? And... But that, in a way, is right. That's something that's not obvious to the modern empirical mindset. And I think, in a way, the church. When a lot of people think of the church, they, in a way, stop at the externals. Uh, they think about maybe you know the uh, the image that comes to their mind is the parking lot and the bricks at the local parish church. Uh, which might be, yeah, I don't know, red bricks, beige interior, um, homely, not really winsome or attractive. Right. Uh, they might maybe think about beautiful works of art and great cathedrals in Europe. Uh, they might think about, you know, I don't know, what the church said, like with the policies the church. Has about COVID or the policies the church has about parking or the ticket they got when they parked in the handicap spot, you know? Or, well, I yes, mean, these, uh, all these different things, and and the and then of course they think about the politics of the church and the lawsuits against the church, and it's kind of like they're always stuck at the externals, and so. How do you suggest we we see beyond those externals well right the animating the, the, like the whatness?
0: There is a there is one the external that I wish everybody would see in the church. yeah uh, and, and that is the kind of that should be the face of the church and and uh, those are the the works, the collective works of charity that the church engages. Yes, in. Yes yes. If, if that's what we thought of first. Mm-hmm. The You know, the soup kitchen that a downtown parish runs yeah. or the food bank mm-hmm. that uh, practically in all areas of the country, uh, the, the diocese or this, that or the other individual mm-hmm. parish runs. If we if we thought of those things, first of all, as mm-hmm. the face of the church.
1: Like Mother Teresa's and Mother Teresa, charity. yes, if we and if that's
0: what came and to the mind. And the
1: hospitals that we, the hospitals as we know them, in many ways, right, were born of the yes. charitable works of yes. the church. These schools, of which we're aware in many ways, right, come from the charitable works of the church. Uh, so, seeing in a way, right, the the, yes. the works of charity, I um, think that's the royal element.
0: road into what the church is. Mm-hmm. And are, are are those works of charity? Yeah, and that we should be. Christians should be more forthright about that, that this is our face, mm. this is our public face, and mm-hmm. if you want to know who we are, look at what we do and wow. that, you know, and mm-hmm. that's the better proof I think
1: yeah and that is true also that you know if you look at anything else you 't look if you want to figure out what football is, you don't look at the bad players or the injured players, <laughs> right the ones right. that are Either, you know, like but you think consider who are the greatest yeah. players of the sport. Yeah. So to a certain extent, right, we ought to then try to see with the eyes of faith the great works of charity, especially that's what I think. both at the local level but also by the kind of heroes of our faith. Oh, yeah, that's what uh, I think. And and you maybe also one thing at least I've found in terms of talking with people, especially people maybe who are disaffiliating or disaffiliated with the church is reminding them that the fundamental words like the fundamental external actions of the church are in the sacraments right Mm -hmm. so it's i baptize you in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit right that we can become a child of god beloved by the creator right that's or, or that i absolve you of your sins who doesn't have sins or at least even if people don't recognize them as sins nowadays or don't speak of them in language but something of which they're deeply ashamed Mm-hmm. Something that they've done for which they cannot get rid of the internalized shame. And to think about the words of absolution in baptism and then in confession, yes. right. I absolve you of that shame. Yes. I like, mean that, and then again, this is my body. That idea that the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, comes to us in intimate communion. Uh, that, that when we think about those works, those are the key external things of the church. Yes. Uh, we kind of hear Christ's voice speaking. Uh, I remember reading, uh, I think it was a book called "Like Catholicism uh, by von Balthazar. But he gives this image of the individual Christian at Mass getting ready to receive the Eucharist. And he imagines there the 2,000 years of Catholic tradition added on to the 1500, years or more of Jewish, the Jewish tradition, tradition. Uh, the countless bishops that have passed on things, all of the institution of the bishops, uh, the creeds that had to, you know argue over elements. All of this sort of stuff, all of the diocesan offices and structures, and the Pope, and the entire external reality of the Church across the whole globe and across time. But then, when the individual hears the words of the priest handing Jesus Christ, yes, all of that
0: exists for that sacramental act, exactly.
1: And then the person right says this is the body of Christ. And the person says, amen. The person then receives, right? God, Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity immediately. It doesn't receive it through the church, so to speak. The church is not a mediator. The church is the actuating presence that allows Mm -hmm. the person to come into immediate contact with God. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, Anyway, I always loved that idea that we do have that intimate personal communion with God. And that's really the good news that Jesus, right, tried to announce and encouraged his apostles to announce that through them and their followers, their works of love and their works of the sacraments, right, we could become children of God, right, friends of God.
0: uh, I I think you touch on uh, something that's. that's, uh That's very important in thinking about the church, and and that's the relation between the community of the church and and the individual person. Mm. There's there's an important sense in which the community of the church, institutionalized as it is, exists prior to the individual's encounter with Christ Mm. in the sacraments. But without that prior communion, that encounter wouldn't wouldn't really be available but then subsequently once that encounter is achieved personally then the then the christian realizes his responsibility as it were to pay back to the to the community to the communion of the church what he has received and that and that becomes the font of well, of the charitable works that we, that, mm-hmm. that we've mentioned previously, each, yeah. uh, you know, according to his or her means, uh, mm-hmm. undertakes those things. So it's, it, it, it seems to me you can, you can, you know, you can think of the church as a kind of an hourglass. There's a, there's a community prior to the individual, but, the. But the neck of the hourglass mm. is, you know, is, is the individual. And the, and the prior history, the prior institutional forms are f- so that that individual can have that encounter mm. with Christ and God. But then subsequently to that, then, as it were, the individual rejoins the, mm. rejoins the community and uh, happy with his brothers and sisters in Christ, undertakes things that, that we ourselves of our own individual powers, couldn't, you know, could not accomplish. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. That's really beautiful. It's almost, you see that as a supernatural uh, mode of what happens within a family, right? The family is prior to the child that is welcomed into Mm -hmm. the family. Uh, And for a while, right, you know, the, I don't know, you know, you see that very definitively because the child is utterly dependent upon the family. He's
0: completely needy. Uh,
1: But then at a certain point, you know, fast forward 50 years, you know, sometimes that child yes. is then carrying on the family yes. and taking care. I think of, that's
0: a perfect, that's a wonderful analogy. You know yes. that
1: um, so we are welcomed one at a time as persons for that personal relationship with God, but only because of the prior existing communion yes. of the church, and then we're called to carry that communion forward right into. Yeah carry out mission yes, right, the, that to be the church the, is
0: the democracy of the church is uh the, the way many uh, conservative political theorists think mm-hmm. the, the democracy of the church you know reaches back in time as mm. it were the people who are dead but who witnessed to the faith by their works and you know and the sufferings that they endured they're still as it were with us they're still voting yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and then, but then also uh, looking towards the future mm-hmm. where we give back to the, to the people from whom we have received by giving forward to the people mm-hmm. who come after us. That's, uh, that's the way many thinkers want to think of political society as a whole, but I think it's absolutely necessary to think of the church
1: that yeah. way. So that's where I think uh, GK Chesterton Uh, in one of his books described tradition as the democracy of the dead. democracy of the dead, that's right. We give the dead votes, and we recognize that so much of what we have today is because other people have received it and passed it on, and also that when we receive and pass on, Yeah,
0: we're just stewards. We're just stewards for a while. For our own moment, we're stewards of this gift.
1: And indispensable stewards in a way. So we recognize that we're not necessary because the churches already exist. God has already done everything He needs to do in Jesus Christ. And yet on the other hand, we play right an irreplaceable (laughs) necessary role that but for us joining, according to God's plan and choice, right? We can never choose to be adopted. You know, God's God loves us first. But when we maybe say yes and enter into the communion of the church, then we uh, are – the church in a way spreads through us in a way that it, it, it couldn't have, just as a skin when we say yes you know, to our families. And, of course, our families are imperfect and broken and all these different elements. Um, and so we see, though, that when we move to the church, that the church in a way in her essence really is that family not of the human family but the family of God. Right, in a way, the, the very Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, you know, uh, I, I want to take That's a break good. for a minute. Okay. Uh, but when we come back, I'd love to ask you a little bit about how you got interested in studying theology, okay. how you got interested in um, writing a book about uh, the church, and uh, just give our uh, listeners and viewers a chance to get to know you a little bit okay. more. You're listening to the Catholic Theology Show presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at avemaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. So, Father Mancini... Uh, tell us a little bit about how you maybe became a monk, how you started studying theology.
0: Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not... It, it doesn't have very many interesting details, <laughs> the story. I, uh, I, I thought from a very early age, probably uh, when I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. that I wanted to be a priest. All right. Wow. Uh, and the diocese sent... Seminarians to uh, Saint Minrad Arch Abbey and Seminary for their training. Well, the the seminary as attached to an abbey then uh, opened my eyes to a, another way of being a priest than simply being a diocesan priest. And I liked the and I and I liked the the way the, the monks lived because they could give themselves over. Uh, very much to uh, study and then teaching uh, the seminarians that were in their care, and that uh, that attracted me so much that I that I, as it were, jumped ship from the diocesan priesthood and uh, signed up with the Benedictines. Oh, so.
1: that's great! That's great! That's kind of just like, um, kind of like just one step at a time, and uh, right. and saying yes to opportunities, and yes. kind of being attracted by the beauty of the. Yes, the Benedictine monastery. But certainly, when I went element. when I
0: went to the seminary, I had no idea that I that I was oh, okay. would Maybe become a, a a monk or a Benedictine. That was all. Mm-hmm. That that all kind of was very, what should we say, kind of opportunistic, mm-hmm. you know, just like, mm-hmm. oh, providential, I guess. We yes, should say. yes,
1: yes. And you think there, there is part of that even with respect to the church, right? Is we, you know, sometimes it's just like we stumble into yes, we churches. Do. We stumble into liturgies. Right, we stumble into maybe conversations with yeah. Christians yes. about, or we pick up a book. Yeah, yes, it's like know. You know, St. Like
0: Anthony's story. He, yeah. he, he walked into church one day and he read the, and the gospel that was being read for the mass was, uh, uh, sell everything that you have and come follow me. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, how am I gonna do that? And so he became a monk yeah. in,
1: the, in the desert. Wow, that's beautiful. How did you end up st- um, then going to Rome and study theology? well i uh
0: as as I say I, I was always attracted to that, and the uh, the powers that be at the abbey and in the seminary they th- they thought that I was a good bet uh, you mm-hmm. know to f- to finish a theology degree and uh and then come back and 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 work in the seminary and 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 so it was mm-hmm. so I went to uh, Rome and lived at Sant'Anselmo, Anselmo the Kind of international Benedictine house there, but studied at the but studied with the Jesuits at the Gregorian University because I, because I I was more interested in uh, the, as it were the breadth of dogmatic theology rather than the specialization that Sant'Anselmo
1: itself offered in sacrament. Mm-hmm. So, and so your your dissertation was on what is dogma, right?
0: Yes. Uh-huh. So, uh, <laughs> which is really kind of a. Uh, I don't know. It was a, it was a, more of a dissertation in fundamental theology than dogmatic theology. But it was uh, it, it it was a it was a good topic, and it's repaid me many many times over the years. If you get if your if your director gets you onto a good topic, mm. why then? Uh, he gives a gift to you that never stops giving, and that was true in my in my own kind of scholarly life. So I I, I have a lot to uh, thank my uh, director for at that point.
1: And it's kind of fascinating too, because if you think about that, what is dogma? What is really what is the nature of Christian belief yes. as it's been expressed in certain uh, statements? Yes, right. You know, Jesus is Lord. Right. God created the universe. Right. Yes. These different uh, dogmatic utterances uh and in a way that kind of it it kind of sets you up in part for this recent project which is not what is dogma but what is the church Mm -hmm. right so maybe how did you how did some of that work that you did on the foundational questions of what is dogma shape the way you approached what is the church
0: well uh, i because of the dissertation then the, the the church was always as it were foremost in my thought as uh, the custodian of revelation by way of enunciating dogma, which are as it were dogmas mm-hmm. stand to sacred scripture as a kind of guideposts. This is when you read sacred scripture, keep these dogmatic truths in mind mm-hmm. and you'll, and you'll read rightly. You'll get the, yeah. you'll get the, the gist of the message so that, so the, uh, uh, but uh, but but the church is in the, not simply the kind of the custodian of dogma by way of teaching dogma, but the first articulator of dogma mm. by way of the teaching of uh, pope and bishops. So uh, so so in that way, the, the dissertation uh, was a sort of a topic on dogma was a sort of a natural lead into yeah. thinking about the church more, mm-hmm.
1: and even in a way articulating detailed. scriptures right in terms of both writing and then. Uh, collecting the scriptures, proclaiming the scriptures in the early church assemblies, and then, yes, uh, you know, codifying and canonizing scriptures. Yeah. Uh, so maybe then in addition to, we talked earlier about the external works of the church in terms of the works of charity. And then we also talked about some of the sacramental works of the church. Maybe then a third external action of the church that we really ought to see, is the church's teachings, yes, right? Well, that the teachings yes. in a way f- that are um, present in Scripture and in the right dogmatic utterances, maybe the creeds or other aspects of what we believe yes. are really something maybe that are not as immediately. Well, know, and those, helpful, are, but
0: those are the three yeah. tasks, as it were, that uh, that's Scripture people use to as it were, analyze and make sense of the ministry of our Lord, which tasks get passed on to the apostles and then are themselves discharged by the church, the task of preaching. Our Lord is, first of all, mm-hmm. rabbi, teacher, and uh, the word incarnate. Yeah. But yeah, he's also the the one who sanctifies us and is uh, the priest. So he's prophet, priest, and king yes and what does the kingship of christ consistent especially ruling us through charity and enabling yeah. our own charity so those mm-hmm. three things then that mark our lord's ministry that are, are passed on immediately to the church and are and then are you know they're realized now in yeah. what in in the preaching sanctifying and as it were organizing ruling administrative uh capacity of the church which uh, to, uh, to repeat uh uh, really, to uh, you know, to to give itself over, especially to the works of charity.
1: Yeah. Now, when I was uh, looking at your book <clears throat> and and reading through it, I was uh, interested and kind of intrigued uh, that instead of beginning with what is the church and kind of ecclesiology proper, you begin with kind of a preparatory yes. uh, section, three chapters where you deal with questions about the historicity of the gospels. Yes. Um, kind of did Jesus really found a church? Yes. So tell us a little bit about how you, what, what made you decide to do that? Well,
0: the series for which the book was written is uh, aimed at a kind of a broad audience, uh, not just uh, theologians, not just seminarians, but uh, the this, this series wants to be uh, kind of available to uh, Somebody in a college theology program, whose uh, you know the, the requirement is that they have uh, six hours of philosophy and they have six hours of theology, and uh, that, and how they make those hours up could be anything. But one of the, one of the ordinary ways uh, it, for a, a college student, to, you know, to make up those hours in a in a, in a Catholic college is to take a Christology course or an ecclesiology course or a sacraments course. But I, I thought to myself, if, if there's some, if there's some young people and you know, they have to, they have to do their three hours or six Mm -hmm. hours. And, and, and my book is maybe the only theology book, that they'll ever read from stem to stern mm-hmm. then then I want to get maybe a little bit more done than just talking <laughs> yeah. about the church and so the and so the and so the first part of the book is very much apologetically oriented i was thinking the first part of the book is for is for as for a sophomore who doesn't want to be in the class <laughs> <laughs> But, he's, but he has yeah, to be in that class, and he has to read this book. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the so the so the first part of the book is as it were why you should think seriously about Jesus of Nazareth hmm. and uh, the church in which his teaching and his actions are still available to us. So so that was the that was the sort of uh, well.
1: Wow. So I'm might, attempting to you do in that first. talk about yeah. what is the church, you have to go back because. What's Jesus? Yes, right? you know what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And I think why does he and matter? I think
0: especially today, uh, I think people are very skeptical about the historical reliability of the gospels. Well, well, there's a long story to tell there, but I think de facto, that's what people approach the new. Uh, that is sort of, oh, it's sort of in the air of the scholarly world that the that the gospels are not really historically trustworthy. I think uh, that they are historically mm-hmm. trustworthy, but in in order to really to to draw somebody into the church, they have to be they have to know that, mm-hmm. and, and they have to know the good historical arguments yeah. for the historical objectivity of the gospels. Yeah. And once you know, once a person is convinced of that. Or, or is kind of ready to give that a shot. to then think, you know, think how many people over the ages have been, you know, they say, "Well, Christianity, um, I don't know what that is or what that's about." Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give that a try. And they pick up the New Testament, and they, you know, they go to the first page of the New Testament, which is the Gospel according to Matthew, and they start reading Matthew's Gospel. And by God, truly, by God, before they. Get past, say, chapter sixteen or seventeen, they're they're caught. Mm-hmm. That is, they're caught by faith, and they see that Jesus of Nazareth really does speak a, a sort of a self-evidencing true word that matters in their life, and so that's happened countless times over you know over the yeah. world.
1: You know, it's it's C.S. Lewis wrote once uh, in, I think it was on biblical criticism or something, but anyway, he said that a lot of people want to say, Oh, the gospels are legends. And Lewis of course was a great scholar of yes. medieval and Renaissance literature. He
0: knew a legend when he met. One. And, and, and
1: in some, some people would say he, <laughs> that, um, he was the most, like he was one of the most well-read people ever just one of those people that started reading great legends in the original languages as a teen and never forgot anything he wrote and he'd read and all these different things. And he just said, look, I know legends. And he said, this is not, these one. are not, legends. <laughs> these are, these are, these, these are not They're They're written it. in the odd way that eyewitness accounts yes. of historical facts and of people wanting to say why these things happened and yes. why they're important. And they're just a different, they're 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 a different genre and and they are really kind of what they claim to be basically uh gospels that yes. are articulating what happened in jesus christ and who he was who he taught and how ultimately right he died yes and rose again and that's the trajectory they, they
0: still possess the original power of, mm-hmm. of the word that's you know it's no accident that uh, that the Chinese government is very careful about, mm. you know, the introduction of uh, the Bible and the New Testament and, mm-hmm. and wanting to control that and wanting to have their own version of things like that. Yes, they know the power of the, of the New Testament. And so,
1: mm-hmm. right. And, you know, it's interesting, too. I think some people, uh, there was a famous modernist theologian, um, Alfred Loisy, in... Um, L'Élanger uh, de around- l'Église. Yes, exactly. On you know the the gospel and the church. In he wrote that I think around like you know nineteen hundred 1900, nineteen o three or so. And uh, but anyway, he famously said, criticizing you know the the Catholic understanding of the church, but saying Christ preached the kingdom and the church came. So this idea that Christ, the Jesus Christ, just preached the kingdom of God. Um, and then, you know, I mean, and the New Testament is really about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. And then later the church kind of mess, got everything, you know, messy and confusing and kind of tried to create this other thing called a church. How would you respond to that? Do you think um, to somebody who has a, who who doesn't think in a way that the church started with Jesus or that the church is in the New Testament?
0: Well, um, uh, I, uh, two things come
1: immediately to mind, and that is that
0: we, we, we wouldn't hear or read the, you know, the record of the preaching of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of God's hand. That, that wouldn't really be available to us, that news about the kingdom, except for the church. You know, the, our dependence once again, as historical beings and as social beings... On institutions is is it's, it just seems to me very naive of anyone to suppose that that we would that there would be available to most people any real connection whatsoever with the historical Jesus and and the and what he actually historically preached except for the institution of mm-hmm. the church so uh, I I think that's you know that's that's one way to you know, to engage that, that, that sort of observation. But the church is
1: the very context by which we've heard about Jesus. Apart yes. from yes. the church and the church's writings and the church's scriptures, yes. there is... But a- then
0: secondly, the New Testament is saturated with things about the church. Uh, the, one of the central images of the church is uh, in, the, in the New Testament... Is that the you know the church is the is the new and kind of final temple of God temple the place where God meets man and uh, you know if, if you just look at that in 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 modest detail through the New Testament why then you see that all sorts of interesting things are identified as the temple of God Christ Himself is that he speaks of the temple of His body in the, John's Gospel and then. Uh, St. Paul conceives of the, the, the Christian community as a temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we, uh, we connect the, the temple, the meeting place of God and man, which the church is, with a sort of perfect temple that comes down, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven that we expect. In the last book of the New Testament, the uh, Apocalypse of John, so, so at that point, if you have, with just a little bit of kind of, what, uh, guidance, then it, it turns out that the, the church just kind of shows up uh, everywhere mm-hmm. in Scripture, not just the New Testament, but also uh, in, uh, in, in the Old Testament, too, because Israel... Is the as it were is, is as it were the first church. And uh, the, the the church of our Lord and Savior is the is the completion and sort of repristinization of that original wow. community.
1: Yeah. You know, and in many ways, right, it's sin fractures. I think it's uh, the devil, Diabolus, right, in some ways is the scatterer. Yes. Satan, Satanist is the accuser. So on the part of sin in the Bible, we have the scatterer and the accuser. We become scattered because we become accusatory of others and accusatory of ourselves. And so God's plan for redemption has to move us from isolation to connection, from accusing one another to communion yes right so i think these different elements are very kind of powerful and and then we can think about what would it mean for us what would it mean for god to have a plan for our happiness that didn't involve us somehow entering into that deeper communion right that communion of family uh city Uh, connection, right? You know, we're kind of created for connection. And and it goes right to Jesus. I was thinking of Jesus's words in Matthew 16, right? I will tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the powers of death shall not prevail against it, the church. So what Jesus is doing by wanting to save us is not just save us as individuals, but save us personally to become part of a communion in which the gates, the powers of death, the gates of hell, right, cannot prevail against it. You No longer can the accuser or the scatterer fracture, right, what God has kind of made one in his church.
0: Yes, and that's the, the foundation of the church
1: there at, at that point de-
0: depends centrally and is grounded uh you can say it's grounded on the on the faith of peter but then you know peter's faith is mm. what connects him immediately with with christ and so yeah. you know if you if you just look at what what is the foundation of the church uh, according to the new testament well sometimes that's the apostles but then other times the foundation of the church is christ himself mm. and that's the the you know the one who so experiences and suffers the scattering and the disbursement unto death of the devil that he depotentiates it and makes possible now on the the other side of what the devil has done to us and what we do to ourselves by conspiring with the devil, he makes possible on the other side of that a, a sort of a communion with him, the Son of God, than which no kind of more more perfect relation with God could be imagined so when we you know think there's a sort of the a
1: church we don't want to think about it on really we don't want to think about it kind of as a sociological horizon entity primarily <clears throat> but the church is really born from Christ So yes. Christ's own as you put it, the way he suffered accusation suffered yes. disbursement in his death and rejection but overcame that in his resurrection. And it's that overcoming of it, his pulling everything back together, saying to his apostles, peace. And when he does that, he gives the spirit. So when we think about what's the source of the church, it's really the father acting to bring together his people through Jesus Christ risen in his body and bride so that we can become right. The temple of the Holy spirit. And, so we're not just talking about kind of a historical, sociological no, because, reality. No, because the very but, action
0: by which by which yeah. Christ accomplishes that is available to us every time we go to man. Yeah. And that's so, why I like so the, when you said that, that, it's now. not just
1: what is the church, but it's who is the church, because we see who is the church. The church is Jesus Christ. The church is the activity of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, reminds yeah. me, I remember in Ratzinger's introduction to Christianity, um, then Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict and now Pope Benedict Emeritus. Uh, but he says that in the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. And he always loved that because he says that's really one article. Yes, And so the belief in the Holy Spirit is believing that the Holy Spirit is acting in the church. And it also means that you can only believe in the church if you believe that the Holy Spirit is not just the buildings or the people, but is the Holy Spirit acting in them. And I think that's something that is uh, really, you know, uh, hopeful um, and is just kind of a powerful vision that really well, opens yes, so us it up of... to a communion with God personally through the communion of the church.
0: It, re- it returns us to one of the great uh, patristic understandings of the church as, as the effect
1: and as sort of the, the,
0: the product of the Holy Spirit as uh, St. Irenaeus says, you know, ubi- Ecclesia ibi Spiritus. Wherever the church is, there is the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is,
1: there is yeah. the church. It's almost when we're, It's uh, somebody said once to me that when you're in the picture, you can't see the picture. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I think when we're in the church, we can't see the church. When we're in the church, we don't realize all the church has given us. And so we often want to, you know, right? it's like you want to throw off the shackles of the institution or something. And then you forget that everything you see Namely, a good, loving God who cares so much for us, right, that is willing through the cross and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to restore us in communion and for, through the forgiveness of sins and the sending of the Spirit. All those things, right, are there because you're looking through the telescope of this, the of the church. And if we throw off the telescope, hard to see it. So, he, you know, Father, you, you did write a, um, a wonderful book here. Uh, I think it really, I think, would be a great, uh, you know, maybe I think uh, for people that are interested in theology or interested in learning more about the church, I think, uh, you know, a willing, um, you know, layperson could definitely uh, tackle the book.
0: Yeah, I, t- I try to, ex- I-, I do have a kind of a brief explanation of how theology is supposed to work in yeah. there. One of, one of the chapters addresses that. So, they
1: And I know. also think this could be a great, maybe gift for a, lo- do you think this would be a good gift for a local you know, for uh, somebody who's listening, and for their local pastor or associate pastor, or just kind of the well, average priest out there, because one of the things I've noticed is that priests often study a lot in seminary, and then afterwards uh, they're so busy, uh, and yes. I feel like that desire for uh, continuing reading, continuing education.
0: I I I, th- I think so. The the uh, maybe for a priest, the more the more valuable chapters would be the uh, the sort of a collection of certain kind of scriptural themes which is one of the most satisfying things in writing the book was to was to uh, take the image of the church as the bride of Christ and and see where that is in the Old Testament mm-hmm. and in the New Testament see how that that image of the of the marriage of uh, the, the lamb and the bride of Christ how that Kind of unifies the whole scope of uh, of of scripture of the of the scriptural kind of presentation to us of Christ and His work from Genesis to the yeah. to the Bible. Yeah, there's a profound
1: the profound engagement with scripture in your book, right? As you go through, um, right, the bride, Church as bride of bride. Christ, body of Christ, temple, the Holy Spirit, right. people of God, and then eventually connect those with the what's sometimes called the four notes of the yes. church. I believe yes. in right? One holy Catholic and apostolic church. So definitely, you know, in our conversation, we haven't really kind of gotten, uh, we've only kind of begun to kind of enter into uh, the real depth of the book. Uh, But I definitely get something that would just be a real um, blessing for so many people. Uh, And not only for their own understanding of the church, but I feel like anyone who's working in in the church today, or really, Uh, catechists teachers uh, priests even bishops right they're constantly i think surrounded by people who have a lot of confusion about what the church is and uh, so to be able to understand it and seeing its role in god's plan for our salvation uh, would be a real gift you know before we kind of begin our closing i'd love could you maybe just say what are three takeaways that you'd love people to uh, have if they read the book (sighs)
0: Well, one of them we've we've touched on the the sort of the saturation of ecclesiological reality in the scriptures. I, mm-hmm. I think that's 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 very important to see. That's very important for a Catholic to see. Uh, a second thing would be, you know, I I, I recalled a moment ago uh, Saint Irenaeus' dictum about where the Holy Spirit is, there is the Church, and vice versa. But also I, I think what's super important for Catholics to see we could we could alter his little dictum and say ubi ecclesia ibi Eucharistia mm. and vice versa. Where the Eucharist is, there is the Church, and where the Church is in in her fullness, mm-hmm. I, you know I, I don't I don't wanna I don't want to say that Protestants don't have a, a, a real relation and and, uh, and a kind of a partial belongingness to the church, but but where the church is, there is the Eucharist. Where the church is in her fullness, there yeah. is the Eucharist. And where the Eucharist is, there is the church. And and I I I I think I think a renewed, a more vivid apprehension of that on the on the part of ordinary Catholics would be a super good thing for us to have. Yeah. And that you know we. We actualize our ecclesial identity. We we bring the church to realization when we go to mass on Sunday. That's that's
1: what we're seems doing. that seems what the bishops in the United States have called for, that Eucharistic revival yeah. as well. So that's great that yeah. I think your book on the church is really in a way points to right the fullness yes. in a way of the Eucharist. So yes, that's also I, a great I've re, connection. I've,
0: I've relied on a lot of contemporary French uh, systematic uh, theology and scholarship at that point. Yeah. But i I think
1: they're I think they're on the money there. I really do. That's great. So, well, um, I wanted to ask you just three questions. I like to ask um, okay. my guests on the show. Uh, what's um, something you're reading lately?
0: I am reading. Oh, it's so good. I mean, <laughs> Olivier. Thomas Venards, mm-hmm. uh, "The Poetic Christ," just it's uh, uh, it's a it's a sort of a condensation of his, the trilogy that that he wrote. It's uh, uh, about a third of the trilogy put into English, which I'm glad. My my French is okay, but uh, for really technical stuff, it's very uh, nice to have an English what translation. What does the "poetic
1: Christ" mean, just real quickly?
0: The poetic Christ is the is the Christ who makes our language really speak the truth about God mm-hmm. and ourselves. Wow. That's poesis, so to speak, sure. in the mm-hmm. in the sort of the, you know, the, the original Greek meaning there, the yeah. the Christ who makes our language work and who makes our language work because he is the incarnate word of God. And so he
1: empowers our own words.
0: It's a wonderful,
1: I'm reading that right now. It's wonderful. Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, second question. What's a, what's a practice, uh, that you do maybe on a daily basis to find meaning and purpose. Oh my.
0: Well, I, I, um, I always try to pray that the, my, um, my, my prayer life is uh, kind of uh, centered around two things. I, I try to pray the anima Christi, you know, very sincerely and completely, uh, once a day, soul of Christ, sanctify mm-hmm. me, body of Christ. Maybe it's uh, any, anybody who's not a, a, a aware of, of that prayer, all you have to do is Google anima Christi yes. or, or uh, soul, and you'll get the whole uh, beautiful uh, prayer. It's a prayer about uh, conforming ourselves to Christ. So I try to I try to do that seriously once a day, and then uh, and then I uh, always visit uh, the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe
1: on campus because uh,
0: because I want to commend especially the people that I love to
1: her. So I, yeah, that's a beautiful shrine on our campus. It is a beautiful shrine. Yeah. That's great. And uh, last question, since this is a show about theology, uh, the idea is that right, our our, our ideas about God matter. Good ideas are helpful and bad ideas yes, are harmful. So true. what's one false idea that you may be held about God at some point And what's the truth you discovered?
0: Hmm. Golly, you've got me stumped there. Michael. I'd <laughs> say the false idea is the, I'd say the false idea is the idea that we, bring anything to god that uh he lacks or that we that we enrich god by our own uh worship or by our by our own christian life this is a this has been a kind of a, a modern a contemporary temptation but i but i but i think the the scriptures themselves teach us uh to think better when when solomon dedicates the temple in the old testament in the book of chronicles there's a beautiful prayer uh, of the dedication of the temple and he says addressing his prayer to god he says we offer back to you in sacrifice the things that you have already given mm-hmm. us that's all we yeah. that's all we can do is return to god gifts that if we receive them well, we receive them knowledgeably and, mm-hmm. and, and return. I think that's Yeah, right. The greatest super...
1: gift, in a way, that we can give to God is thanksgiving for all the gifts yes. that we've received. Yes. That's beautiful. Well, uh, you know, for those who would like to uh, read more or uh, get a copy of the book, uh, the book is Ecclesiology uh, by Father Guy Mancini, OSB for uh, St. Benedict. Uh, it's in the Sacred Doctrina series at CUA Press— um, you can find more about Father Mancini at the Ave Maria website, uh, and also you can uh, get the book at uh, cuapress.org or um, on other you know places to buy books. So, well, thank you so much, Father, for being on okay. our show. I really enjoyed it and um, learned so much uh, from your book and from all of your teaching and from this conversation. Uh, about right God's plan for us in the church Super. and uh, giving us this great gift for which we can be thankful. It's a pleasure. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.